Welcome to Someone Else's Movie, the original podcast where an actor, writer, director, or nebulous industry figure gives a little love to a movie they didn't make. I'm Norm Wilner, senior film writer for Now Magazine, and this is The Other Thing I Do. My guest this week is Katie Douglas, an actor you'll know from dozens of television appearances, most recently Raising Expectations, Burden of Truth, and Mary Kills People. She stars as Vivian, a young woman being raised in mysterious circumstances, in Danishka Esterhazy's Level 16, which opens in Toronto and Calgary this Friday, March 15th, and in Ottawa and Winnipeg later this month. It's also available on VOD in the U.S. right now. Katie picked The Selfish Giant, the shattering first feature from Clio Barnard, friend of the show, about two kids facing a pretty depressing life in northern England, wandering around collecting scrap metal with a horse and cart while the rest of the country rolls along around them. Set in the same environs as Barnard's experimental documentary The Arbor, and acknowledging the connection by naming Connor Chapman's character Arbor, it functions as a subtle reinterpretation of Oscar Wilde's allegorical story and a devastating character study. It's one of the best movies of 2013, and I'm really glad we got to talk about it. This is someone else's movie. I was kind of in a weird stage where um, I knew that I was wanting to go into film, and I knew that I was looking for um, kind of the types of film that I wanted to make, and I was also at a stage in my life where I think I was going on a year since I'd cried. Oh, God. Um, so I was watching all these films that everyone was, was suggesting to me, you know, a lot of them mainstream um, Hollywood movies, high-budget movies, mm-hmm. and um, which I have a great appreciation for, but I just hadn't quite um, found emotion in them. I just, they hadn't quite touched me. They hadn't quite felt real. They were, you know, they were movies. Mm-hmm. And then I, th- I think I found, I saw a still from this movie, The Selfish Giant, and it was this very gloomy-looking shot of um these uh power power lines yeah power lines in the mist and and there's something about it It made me feel um haunted a little bit so i went and i found the movie and i watched the movie and and um that was it for me i I cried and i meant it like it was really really emotional and then i thought about this movie for months afterwards like every day like it didn't leave my head and then um I think that's kind of like when I realized it, it was it was because it was it was so real, and it was um, you know I think the the film industry seems to have sometimes forgotten what the real world looks like, and and Clio uh, Bernard has just does a wonderful job of capturing, uh, the 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 human condition as ugly and and uh, gray as it may be. And yeah, it's um, I had a similar experience with it actually. I, I had I had seen the Arbor and I knew Clio's work. I, I met her and subsequently got her on the podcast, which is even. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it was great. I didn't think it was going to happen, and it came together. It's a really short episode, but she totally made the most of the window of time she had. Uh, and I watched this on a laptop on a on a link because I missed it at TIFF, and they were releasing it theatrically, and I was catching up to it. And I think, if I remember correctly, I was in a Kate and I were in a hotel in either New York or London. It was just it was a film that was opening while I was away. It must have been. I think it was London actually, and yeah wept just crying so yeah uh, didn't wake her up which is nice but <laughs> it was one of those things where it's like two in the morning and i'm weeping quietly lying very very still trying not to disrupt it yeah but it's it's the thing that she does um in this and in the arbor too um mm-hmm. is is create this environment that gives people no chance whatsoever and somehow it doesn't feel like that negative spiral that a lot of the kind of kitchen sink dramas are built into in the UK where, you know, this, oh, this isn't going to end well. 
whatever happens, right, you, know, right, right, you know yeah. it's going to go badly. This movie isn't. It's not like that. It's it's about trying. It's about doing something before it all goes to. It's crap. it's yeah. A good word to to use for it is so hopelessly human. Like a, mm. a, a, a like a, initially you pick up in a place where um, you're already with these dead end teenagers. Yeah. Like the the situations they're in are 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 bad and and the thing the thing about it is that there's no villains in in the script like you don't judge anyone you don't hate anyone everybody it's all justifiable like everyone's pretty much just making the best of a of a bad situation something about that is so so um the the you know social realism seems to be kind of on on um like a, 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 a the trend is is not as um popular right now but i think yeah. the like um people forget how moving it is um, how, how uh, more, how much more effective it is, um, as a viewer to watch something uh, that could, that's actually happening right now, something that's, that's very real um, unfold, where there's no heroes, there's no, um, there's no light at the end of the tunnel. It's just this is how it is. Yeah, and it is how it is because of factors that these characters have no control over. Right, yeah. they, we're watching the bottom tier of British society in these in these kids who. Yeah, you, you're introduced to them in the middle of basically scrap work. Yeah. The, the whole world is, is old metal and junk wood and things that have no use to anybody. And gradually we start to understand that that's, you know, that's how these kids see themselves, too. They're, they're, not, they're not ambitious. They're just doing their work. They're working. They're like 10 years old and they're working right. in a world that has no use for them either. And it's just... It's so heartbreaking. And then to watch any kind of humanity bubble up into it, to watch relationships form, and to watch uh, Arbor, um, who is... I'm going to stop and look it up because I'll forget, but His, the actor's name is... Uh, Arbor, the, the actor's name is Connor Chapman. Connor Chapman. Um, Thank you. That's another thing, is that the kids that she found, I don't know what she did, but she, she's, like the performances that came out of the, these actors were just... So lovely. Yeah, and if I remember correctly, they are non-actors. Like, they're not professionals. That's right. So she, she found, them, found in, them in in an open casting In session. Bradford, I'm pretty sure. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. The, the accents couldn't come from anywhere else. Oh, my gosh, it's so yeah. specific. And it's a movie about um, building a world for these kids, for the actors, not for the characters, where they can be the characters and exist in the moment and just... Yeah, just be. Yeah. In a way that we understand everything about them before they speak, before they move... The and that's yeah that aura of I, I think I know the still you were talking about the shot of the the two kids in the center of the frame at the yeah. very bottom underneath these huge power lines these, yeah and it just it creates yeah it's an almost mystical image and the title invokes the Oscar Wilde story and and that's right so much else that isn't in the film but it's required to the understanding of it like it's I kept trying to think is this an allegorical adaptation is she building that story but she's really glancing off of it. She really is. It's reworking. Mm. It's like it's a reworking of the story. And mm. that, and the way that she actually talks about it, I've listened to a couple of Kyle's um, interviews on it, the way that she describes the film, she describes it as a love story between these two um, boys where, you know, at, at first glance you're watching this movie and it's about poverty in, in Bradford. It's about it's about these bad situations, kind of a fable in the sense of, of, of don't go chasing entrepreneurship. Like you stay in school, mm-hmm. stay out of trouble, whatever. But the way she describes it is a, is a tragedy and a love story between these two um, friends. And that is, I think that's why it was so effective is because she made us 
love them. She made us see the very human side of them and then to have this, 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 this such a natural tragedy. It's just, just this hopeless tragedy um, unfold. That, I think that's where the emotion came from. Yeah. And I, I think she just approached it in the most perfect way. Like that she, she, she captures these little, um, I know mean, I've got brothers myself and okay. I, and I like younger brothers and I, and I, there's some of the scenes, like they're jumping around on the trampoline, they're just wrestling and it's just so, um, natural and it's so true to, to boyhood and, and, and the innocence of it all. And, 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 um, yeah, I think I, the way she, the, something about that, the way that she, she calls it a love story. And I think that's why it's so like the emotion comes out at the end. Yeah, I was trying to figure it out, and I wish we'd had time to talk about it last time we spoke. There's a there's a sense, the thing she's doing, in specifically in this film, not so much in, in The Arbor, which is more stylized, um, is very similar to like Mike Lee and Ken Loach, and there's this whole long tradition of, of British kitchen sink realism. But I think she literally sees it differently. Like She's looking for behaviors that the other films haven't captured. I think that, I think you're right. I think, and I notice it too. There's something about her films that, that are, that are, it's fresh. It's, mm. it's, it's from a, it's from a very interesting perspective. Yeah. Her, her perspective. I mean, she does this thing repeatedly, which is to show joy, to show happiness. Like, as you were saying, the, the playing, the interactions that aren't yes. serious or that turn serious. Yeah. But, the, the films of Lee and Loach, more often than not, are about people who are already despairing. I mean, mm-hmm. they're focused on adults. And it's people stewing in their situation. And these kids don't do that. They're not... They haven't yet learned that. Uh, the, it's, in, it's internalized, but they haven't realized it yet. Right. That they don't have a future, really. Because they're, they're, they're dreamers. They're talking about what they're they living, want to do. They're living and they're laughing and they're idolizing this, this, this junkyard, the scrap metal. Yeah. Um, oh, I don't know what to call them. Yeah. Uh, the character's Kitten. I think yes, and he's played he's, by he's played by Sean Gelder, who's such a wonderful, uh, jo- jo- he's he's a dodgy dealer, and basically yeah. these kids idolize him because they see these piles of money coming over, over the table, and you can see the actor, their eyes just like, yeah. light up at the sight of that. They have no idea really what um, they're getting into. They're just trying to feed their, help their parents out, you know. Yeah, and that's their biggest aspiration, presumably, is to to work to do what he's doing. Yeah, make and money. Someday that will be them, and. That's that's the thing that that Barnard does, right? She, I'm saying that's the thing a lot. She <laughs> she is showing us how they don't yet understand that this isn't something that should be aspiring to. Yeah. But and we can see it, and they don't know it, and that's that's where tragedy comes from, right? Yeah. The, the awareness of things that the characters can't see coming. Yeah. Because when you're a kid, you don't know that your life could be different. You just this is how this is obviously what happens to everybody. This is how everybody works. Right. And you idolize the adults around you when the adults around you are nothing. Um, but but greedy, you know. Hence the title, the selfish mm-hmm. giant. Um, um, it it, all, it brings into question who who is the selfish giant? Like yeah. who is it? Is it kitten or is it is 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 that an open ended question? Yeah, I assume um, that it was Arbor for a while. For 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 a while, because yeah. Because he is sort of envious and and then greedy and then. Mm-hmm. And then you've got that thing where he um at one point in the film he he finds a fawn, a baby horse. And he leads it over to this live wire to see if it's if it's re- really live, mm-hmm. and and it's that sort of like you're you're so focused on getting this money out of this copper wire. He he wants to, he wants to harvest the wire and take it back and make money off of it. But he was willing to test it on this live baby horse. Yeah, 
it's, in order to yeah something some, something's missing there yeah absolutely skin crawling moment too i remember i mean i, I do remember thinking don't don't because mm-hmm. because Clio Bernard would do it. She would absolutely. <laughs> she would, yeah. I mean, the horse would be fine, but it, craft services or something. But, but yeah. <laughs> you know, it would be killed in the movie if it worked, if it served the story. Right. And that's this amazing tilt in the films. Like, is this really, is this going to be the story of a sociopath? Is this what this is about? Because when that happens, it's still early enough in the film that we could go anywhere. Right. And, and it goes somewhere lovely. It goes somewhere. It really does. Yeah. I, I keep else. coming back to the or like the word hopelessly human. It's so mm-hmm. hopelessly human. And uh, did you find? I know it might have been a while since I saw, but did you find you had a favorite character? Or? Um, I was fascinated by. Well, but Bar- mostly. I mean, just uh, as he's the lead, he's our fixation. I, I was really, I was amazed at the performance. Yeah. Uh, because that kid is magnetic. I yeah. Um, and and he's he's doing the thing, where. You can't, he's not, he doesn't seem to be making contact with anybody else. He's a brick wall for the first 20, 30 minutes. He, he talks to people, he interacts with people, but he's not there as a person. He's just, it's mechanical. And whether she told him, you know, just look down a lot, don't make eye contact, whatever it is, it draws you in closer because you want to know why he's doing it. And it's such an interesting performance. And then you see the softness come out and, and this humanity and it's just, it's, if all it is is him being photographed from a slightly different angle, it's incredibly powerful. I would really love to know what the process was like working with those kids. We all know it's very it's difficult to work with children and animals. So I would mm. I would really love to know how she went about getting those performances. First of all, kids that are non actors and have never been on a on a film set before and and, sure. and not knowing really. I'm I'm curious to see if that was them, or if they were yeah. re- really channeling the lives of these of these individuals it's it was really it was really wonderful work and, and the other the other young boy his what was his name sean thomas who played swifty mm-hmm. um she she the casting i gotta say was so um well done like whatever they did it was effective you know he he was so um the, the, he, there was a gentleness to that character and i think about his face and i think about that character i feel sick to my stomach like because it's just so um it, it, just, it was just so natural how it all went down. Mm-hmm. And, um... You can talk about the ending if you want to. I mean, we... we yeah, I don't we, know. We presume, <laughs> Spoilers say, and whatnot. We, we presume that at this point people right. will see the film. Well, right. Well, it goes from this, this... This... Pretty much the only unselfish character in the story, basically. Um, when you think about it. Um, and he's sweet and he loves horses and he loves his friend Arbor for whatever reason. You know, Arbor, Arbor's selfish and he is... He's, he's very angry. He's possibly on the spectrum and, and he's... He's proven to be cruel and 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 defiant, but but he he loves his friend and he loves animals. And then the next thing you know, you see his charred little body being pulled yeah. out of this hole. Again, weeping openly and weeping open. Oh, oh my gosh! Just, and I'm losing my mind. Because yeah. that's the thing. She, I did it again. That is <laughs> it's the thing. That is what she teases so beautifully because it doesn't feel like a setup when we have the scene with with the fawn with the with the little that little moment of the wire Mm -hmm. and you just you just as soon as it happens i was just like oh oh of course and then just it broke me yep but um it's all about the world being like the world is just lying in wait for these kids and then when you see it happen it's just shattering and and i've said that already but it, it it really just it's the kind of thing that 
And it you, happens so quickly. Yeah. It happens so quickly. Like, as yeah. it would in real life. Exactly. There's no there's grand no, build-up. Yeah. There's no, there's no VFX. There's no big moment of electrocution. It just happens. And here's another thing. I don't... I can't recall, but I don't think there's ever any me, music throughout the film. It's so silent. I don't remember any. I actually... I, now that I think about it, I don't... I don't think there is. There's some I stuff could be playing wrong. in the background on... There's a radio at Kittens, I think. Maybe, maybe, but yeah. But the, but throughout, there's no background music. Mm-hmm. But there, there's no score. There's no... Nothing nothing to set the mood. And... Because um, it's there by itself. And it's, it's kind of sickly in a way. Because it... Uh, you, if you feel like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching because it could have actually just happened in front of your eyes. Yeah. I well, live in... Um, like, I live in, in, in an area right now that's a little bit, like, rougher. And sometimes... Rather than like watching the movies, I'll sit and just watch out the window, and you will see things that you really wish you didn't see, or you feel like you shouldn't be watching. Like you're like, you you're embarrassed to be watching this. You feel like you should look away, and it, that's kind of what the film brought. It was it was a sense of you're watching someone's personal experience. Yeah, that's it exactly. It's too intimate. Yeah. At times, and it's striking to me that having made the Arbor, which is a documentary, for those listening who haven't seen it, it is a a staged reading, effectively, of people's yeah. testimonials. She recorded the voices of the real people in this in this story, and had people reenact, and had and people had mouth perform, mouth lip sync yeah. it uh, in really weird, stylized, yeah, uh, performing tableau. scenes that like like a living room scene outside in the middle of the lawn or something. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a house on fire. There's there's all the sorts car of, crash. Even. Yeah, really striking choices, and and it absolutely sets the film apart. Yeah, in terms of what documentary can be and what a film can be. Yeah. And then to go and pivot to absolute realism uh, with a, I guess, a fantastical, mystical bent. It starts to look... It's a visually world. stunning film. It yeah. really is. Um, I even wrote something. <laughs> the cinematographer is Mike... Uh, Mike... Mike Eyes? Eyes? Something? Something like that. But he he just, he captured um, the town, like the Bradford. He captured England in a way. Like, it, it established the film. Like, you already knew where you were. You already knew what the situation was. Mm. Like, he... he I thought I thought I did a wonderful job visually. Visually, that's initially what drew me to go and watch the film. Is is the way that it was um, captured. Yeah, I mean, it looks dreamlike at first. Yeah, yeah. But it's very cold. Yeah, but it's that's it, right? Dreams shouldn't be this unpleasant. It's just a a horrible place. A horrible where, place. Where of people it. are broken and beaten down over. Really, my favorite movie. Really love it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's something to be said for. And it doesn't romanticize anything. That's no. the other thing. It, it's not, you feel sick. Yeah, it's not about the celebration of of the plucky people who emerge from the squalor. It's about how the world has left these people there. Yeah. And how England, how Britain, uh, is moving into this post-industrial age where you know, the the I'm, I'm reading uh, Bill Bryson's book at home, which is about the history of things in homes uh, and and why we live in houses and how the house how things that were, were designed in the world came to be the way it is, hmm. and it's fascinating. But there are all these historical anecdotes about uh, the celebration of the industrialization of London and Manchester and these factories and belching smoke, and then this is what we're left with. We're left with a, a com- with communities with entire villages that are no longer doing the thing they were built to do, hmm. which is feed workers into factories so they can like company towns or factory towns that now have nothing. And so having Arbor be a, a scrap hunter, having him be a scavenger, is this perfect evocation of where they, where Britain is now. Because yeah. this kid is born into desolation. The world isn't what it used to be, and no one's come up with anything else. And you know, Brexit is happening basically as we speak, and it's the same thing. There's all these people 
who are completely unprepared for the thing that's about to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've been assured that everything will be fine, that their government will take care of them. That's not going to happen. The next thing is as unimaginable as whatever happened to Arbor's parents or grandparents. Right. And it's, I mean, it's almost a post-apocalyptic film in a way. A little bit, yeah. The, it's a the very environment bleak. is hostile and... Yeah, a representation of, of the of the future mm. and the horror of it all is that it's totally it's not improbable. Yeah, it's happening. It's right there. Yeah, it's um, it's an incredibly powerful and simple film. Yeah, and that's that's exactly it. It's so simple. It's so simple. There's no extravagant plot line. There's no heroes. There's nothing. It's just a sad story. <laughs> it's just a sad story. It kind of reminds me of the Florida Project a little bit. It's more yeah. of a gothic take on something like the florida project yeah because you get to see the world through their eyes once or twice yeah in florida, and then you, the and it's adorable too. and hilarious and funny and you're, you're you're watching kids in an adult world yeah um, and they don't know they're not prepared yep. that's i think that's the connection right the the sense that it's play for them but it's we can see the reality coming yeah around the corner and and well i mean how do you feel about it's it's the obvious question to ask about the florida project how do you feel about the ending the, yeah. the is it real? Is it fantasy? Is it the, oh yeah? Okay, that's a that's a hard one because I've been thinking about it mm-hmm. too. I think it was, in a, in a way, it kind of seemed like, all right, guys, we only got like one day of filming left. Let's go to Disney World. Yeah, go have fun with it. Um, but when you think about it more, yeah, you know what? That might have been fantasy. It might have been children's escape. Uh, the 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 characters. I can't remember uh, the names or anything, but it, it might have been. Um, because they've been surrounded by such adult material, such yucky kind of um, sugar-coated um, adult things that I think it was just kind of like a breath of um, of Disney World. It was just a breath of, of, yeah. of retreating into that innocence, maybe. Yeah. Well, it feels um, like it feels like the ending they would write for themselves. Like if they all lived that, happily ever after. Yeah, yeah. Well, we're there going, ooh. No, that's probably not. That's probably not what's happening. Like, yeah, just yeah. questioning. And that's the thing about that film as well. It makes you, like, you're thinking about it for days afterwards. It's It affects you. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, these are all movies about kids escaping trauma by creating new traumas, mm-hmm. right? But they don't know that that's how it's going. Mm-hmm. They're just, they're doing whatever they can. And it just, it can't end well. Because there is no, like, there's no lottery ticket. There's no salvation. There's no... Oliver Twist ends with someone adopting Oliver right. and being fine. Yeah. That, that's not happening because those things are fiction for a different audience, I guess, for an audience that needs reassurance. Mm-hmm. And uh, both The Florida Project and, and The Selfish Giant end with the potential for further desolation, I right. guess. Like, it's not getting any better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like the difference between... Like Alice in Wonderland and Lolita, maybe. Yeah. Like it's 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 the destruction of of childhood, and as soon as that happens, that's it. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's fine. I'm just I'm actually trying to think of an Alice in Wonderland metaphor that works, like where someone has done that, and it ends with her returning, you know, um, were a wiser, wearier, and all of that, but but it doesn't feel like a loss, and it always does. It does, because no, because that's something you can't get back. Is is your is your innocence and your childhood experience, and mm-hmm. um, I really appreciate when when movies um, do do that right, do it justice. Yeah, and it's, and it's a hard line to walk. Oh, it's a hard line to walk, and it's just so relevant, even like especially in modern day, and everything. I think, um, yeah, no, that's I've always been very in touch with my with my childhood um with with my childlike side as well so i think 
um, I, I like when stuff like that. I, I like stuff stuff like the Selfish Giant about about boyhood and, and girlhood, like mm-hmm. in the case of the the Florida Project. And if it's handled well, I think it it does speak. It speaks. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I think ultimately we are, if we are capable of empathy at all, it's because we remember what it was like to be kids, to right. be helpless, to be weaker then, yeah. and to not know what was going on in the world. I, God, I still feel like that half the time now. Oh my gosh, yeah. Uh, it never goes away. But, <laughs> um, but the the way Clio Barnard handles it is to be, is to leave them alone, is to just watch. That, right? I think to that just might have been what she, like, what she did. Like, so, so, some of the acting just felt so real, and I have a feeling she might have just found these characters in real life and just was like, go. Yeah. Be be real. Be little boys, and they did, and it came across. And yeah, gets... and then she just shapes the plot around them and lets the actor, lets the adult actors sort of fill it in. Yeah. Oh my gosh! And at times they almost like outshine these 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 wonderful, phenomenal like adult actors as well. I think I personally think uh, like a, a film ma- it's very important for filmmakers to um, tell truths. I mean, of course, entertainment and and catering to to your viewers is. Is wonderful and escaping the real world is, is wonderful but i think it, it's i think we would regret um a, a world in which we forgot to document and tell and tell the tell the truth and a lot isn't being represented either in um you know in, when especially for for pe- people in situations that are that are bad you know just like take shameless as an example it's, it's sure. a show about poverty but is that really what what poverty? It's sexy fun poverty. It's sexy, yeah. It's sexy yeah. fun poverty, and it's. I mean, the UK series was like that as well, which is always stuck. Me I actually haven't seen it. I've heard it was more so. It was more so. It's realistic. messier. It's, yeah. it's they're much more attuned to the concept of consequence. Mm. Uh, and James McAvoy's in it, and so mm-hmm. you should totally watch it because he's. I've been meaning. I definitely have been meaning to. But um, yeah, the American version, the Showtime version, is is very much about. Wacky misadventures. Yeah, and that's why people love it. I'm sure. <laughs> and it's like um, it doesn't have the distance that it's always sunny in Philadelphia has, where you know the, the whole point of the show is that these people are going to destroy others, but never themselves, right? Because they have no empathy and they're completely clueless. Yeah. And I get it. I like. It's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's also over in 20 minutes before it can really <laughs> hurt me. Right. But um, but the, the yeah the British tradition is so much more. Um, Unforgiving. That that's I think things. that's it. Yeah, something about that. <laughs> it's the history. It's the torture chambers. Yeah, I mean they they got the stuff <laughs> off with their head and all that. <laughs> it's been um, it's been a long time coming, but finally now there's there are films that are dealing with the the legacy of those things. Uh, yeah. yeah. But but the other side of it is you know, like when you think about when I think about a movie like Mary Queen of Scots, it just came out where mm, I haven't you know, seen it yet. But... It's it's very expensive. Uh, gotcha. like it's all about gotcha. it's all about the clothing and the, the costuming and the way that people carry themselves and it's it's very pretty it's it's beautifully appointed and I didn't care about it for a second I, and I like the actors I like everything about it and it's just it's this rote recitation of all these things and then this happened and then this happened and then this, right. it's people telling each other about the next big move that the rival is going to play and then you see it play out it's like yep that happened but, right you know, everybody got paid well but there's, there's no connection, and also partially, I suppose, because it's about historical personages, that there's no real way in for, for me to connect to the story. But something like The Selfish Giant is the, the, the legacy of that, right? Like, all the decisions made over hundreds of years have led to this, and here they are, and mm-hmm. there's nothing. They don't get to wear 
ridiculous gowns and go to palaces. They can maybe walk past something the on a princes, heath and, no and look at it. Yeah. yeah, and it's just an endless cycle of, of you know, their kids will end up the same and uh, yeah. whatnot. And, yeah, something very, very she's, she's very good at capturing um, the beauty and the ugliness, oh, without romanticizing it, of course, mm. um, capture, capturing the beauty and the silence, beauty and the grayness, beauty and the... In, in, in the hopelessness of it all, and I, I very, I greatly appreciate her as a director because it's, it's hard, you know. Aside from some, oh, like the movie, uh, I think it's called Kez. Yeah, Ken was just. Um, yeah, it's hard to come across a, a, like a, a movie like that, that that really makes you like when you're crying, you are upset. Yes. Like you, were, it's not just a sad scene. Like you, that was upsetting. You lost your friend. Like, it, I, I deeply appreciate that yeah. the ability to to portray that. It's not easy. I mean, every it looks easy because there are. It doesn't require expensive sets. It doesn't require elaborate makeup and effects. Yeah. It's just people. It's just people. But we always know when it's wrong. You know, you can always tell when someone's trying too hard or pushing too yeah. hard. Yeah. And this is just this weird, placid, non-judgmental sense of these things are going to happen, and there's nothing you can do, but you can care. Yeah. And here we go. Yeah. Because we don't know why we're here, we don't whatever. But 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 here's one thing: is that we we are living in this human condition, and 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 if we are capable of feeling these feelings and 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 having our hearts break, and we're capable of all this stuff, we should feel it all, and we should indulge in it all. And I know it's it's hard to suggest this movie to people because I don't want to ruin <laughs> your day or anything. And I, you know, some people are very dismissive of of um, those those feelings and don't like to explore them but but I do think I do think there's something to that something like as a human being I think I think it's a good little thing to 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 dabble in if you will <laughs> to appreciate oh, absolutely um have you have you seen Dark River did you catch I haven't that? seen Dark River no I haven't I actually after watching that movie I haven't seen many movies too much like that movie mm. well dark river isn't either that, that's the interesting thing her yeah. next film is about adult survivors of abuse wow a brother and sister who haven't seen each other in a very long time reunited when their father dies and they take over his farm take over the family farm basically and uh, ruth wilson who who's um best known for bbc's luther uh, she oh, plays yes. the serial killer Alice morgan oh, okay okay um she is the adult daughter of of this this abusive man and Oh, is it Mark? I can't remember the name of her co-star. Uh, but they're both doing this really specific performance tick of being furious all the time and not knowing how to express it. And it's completely different from The Selfish Giant. Arbor has something in him that he doesn't like, and the whole movie is about him figuring that out and starting to realize it. These people have been living with it. They are where Arbor left off. And it's been another 20 years. Right. And it's a really interesting continuum that she's creating because The Arbor is also about people who suffered terribly. Yes, yeah. Um, And by extension, the children who are left behind when someone dies. And Dark River is that as well, sort of through this weird 90-degree mirror thing. And it's really interesting. It's just come out on disc, and I think it's on iTunes already. Hmm. Didn't get a theatrical release in Canada, which was a shame. But... um, it's really, it's the same movie from a different angle and with more time and maturity and sadness behind it. Oh, it's is that really what I'm watching tonight? I think it, it is. It will be. I would recommend it. I, I think it might be. Um, it's also very, very powerful in really small bursts. So 
when people nice. explode at each other, you just you, you pull into yourself watching it, and then you can relax, and then it happens again. Um. And it's uh, It also has this great weird meta joke, and I asked her about it. Um, Sean Bean plays the father, but his death is the thing that starts the movie. So this is finally a movie where Sean Bean doesn't die at the end. <laughs> we see him in flashbacks, and it's this weird joke. And I said, did you do that on purpose? Because, you know, if... Sean Bean is in a movie that the odds are he's not going to survive. That's, that's his running gag for 20 years. They even talk about it in The Martian, I think. And she's like, no, I just hadn't seen half his things. He, he works a lot. Like, Something so simple about, the, about her. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've watched a couple of her interviews and every time I, yeah, I'm glad she's, I'm glad she's putting, I'm glad she's making art. I'm glad she's showing us her head. Yeah. Because there's something very, very, very sweet about that. Yeah. I really, I really like the idea of steeping in her work for 90 minutes at a time or, yeah. or 100 however it works but she, I also know she's going to make me cry and, oh yeah and, and yeah. I don't always want that and I'm vi- very vulnerable thank you <laughs> yeah. it's I mean it's great that she's doing this though because it does point to another way of telling the same story within a genre isn't it interesting that she that she keeps going back to to that genre that yeah. that concept that po- poverty stricken hopelessness concept. it's the thing that tugs at her yeah and, and i don't fully understand why i'm not sure she does either which is what's so fascinating yeah and she's sort of oh, just she cares. picking at a scab <laughs> yeah. over and over again but she finds a fascinating new angle every time and, and and here with the selfish giant i mean she found this simple beautiful uncomplicated way right into this devastating story right and the thing is i actually i haven't read the oscar wilde um, book either so I can't even compare the two I, I almost the, no relation almost no relation yeah interesting so that's definitely something that I'll be reading yeah the story is very fantastical and um, I think it's if I remember correctly it's an allegory about the monarchy I think mm, okay. so maybe there's a hint of, of the connection in that the giant is England and it's kept everything from these that's characters that's what I was, yeah but and she found a love story in it exactly it's not in the book like it's this is a, a new text that she's laid on top of it right uh, in a really powerful way. Yeah. And I wanted to ask you, I mean, you've been acting for a while, um, mm-hmm. and you must have a theory of working uh, as a child actor, or as a younger actor, certainly. How how did you find, I mean, we've talked about the performances, but is there something that resonated in this film that, that came from your own experience with directors? Or um, I think, I think um, ki- kids are really good at, at making the situation real. Mm. And um, often, you'll, often you know, you get child performances are, are their child performances. You know, you're reading your lines and you're you're being pretty for the camera and whatever. But but sometimes what happens is is you can put a kid in this situation and and it's real to them, and 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 it might be mild, like mildly like um, <laughs> psychologically damaging I'm, in the future. I was gonna say. Um, well, but, Sarah Polly tells a story about um, shooting the adventures of Baron Munchausen and how no one protected her from the intensity of the war scenes. Yeah. And how that was really... That's really her reaction. She was, I think, six or seven, and it was really traumatic for yeah. her. Yeah. And, and I've even heard of directors like telling kids, like, by the way, like your mom was on, on your way over here. She's in a car accident. And then recording oh, the kids, like stuff like just, that. Um, that. But then there's so cases like... That kid from E.T. What's his name? Oh, Henry Thomas. Henry Thomas. Yeah, um, his uh, audition tape. That Stephen. Have you seen it? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and and some something in children's brains. It's so much more sympathetic, and it's so much more um, l- like the script is actually upsetting them. So so the, so the emotion comes through, or 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 making them happier, or whatever. Um, 
and not a lot of my experiences were like that. A lot of my performances as, as a child were bad. Like they were, they were, um, you know, I was, I was bad watching. You don't. No, no, no. Like, like you? it's not, no, no, no. It's not, uh, not realistic. It wasn't believable. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, I mean, it's... no, <laughs> real though. Well, no, I and it's because this, I was this... copying, um, I was trying to copy all, all Hollywood movies oh, and I, I was see. trying, but if, as a child, they can only do so much. Um, every once in a while, I do remember um, being being in situations, particularly like emotional scenes, where I was genuinely upset, and I didn't know why. I didn't know I was acting. I was just like getting yelled at <laughs> and being like, told action and stuff. But um, so, is it stress on set that turns into performance, or were you feeling the the script without the script was suddenly suddenly my imagination was an imagination is real right so it becomes real sometimes and that still happens as an adult but you have to like you like in your head you know that it's your responsibility to invoke that yeah and well, um, i guess you learn more about that specifically well you, you learn you to know stop what trying makes you do the thing you need to do yeah you, eventually I, I feel like i've gone through stages and i've never taken an acting class i've literally just kind of watched movies but you honestly i think the trick is you just got to stop trying and then like start living that's mm. that's all i got i don't know i don't know what i'm doing no i, get but, that. <laughs> I totally get that uh if yourself told me once and i've never forgotten it he said that he doesn't he can't see what he's doing yeah, I when can't, he's acting yeah. he needs the director to tell him what he did where he's gone because he has no external no perception way. of himself when he's doing a scene yeah and it's like of course that's of course, no one ever talks about that. But no. absolutely, it's it's got to be like that for everybody. Yeah. Well, there's the other concept of, of like you'll you'll rehearse a scene in your bedroom, and you've got like you've got your Oscar-winning performance in your bedroom, and suddenly you've got a camera in your face, and you're asked to do it right then and there. We only got so much time. Do it. Do it. Do it. Yeah. And there's just like the camera has a tendency of stealing your soul, like there's a dryness. I don't I don't know if this is just me, but. It, you know, it's it's very it's difficult because it's you're at work and then you have to live somebody else's life truthfully and then but you're at work and you only got so much time to get it done and yeah. often the performance doesn't come across how you wanted it to be which is which is frustrating but you know I, I think anyone can can get there if they really put their put their mind to it just not so much when the camera's in your face yeah but that's it right that's why. There is a there is a job mm-hmm. of acting because the people who can do it get to do it. Yeah. And I get to watch because yeah. <laughs> I know what I do, which is suddenly forget what to do with my neck and my hands. I was on CBC like two hours ago doing a mustard <laughs> hit and it was a standing desk piece mm. uh, at CBC News World. And I'm standing with one hand on this glass table to keep my mark so I don't wander. And then while I'm talking to a camera and a television monitor, I start thinking... Are my fingers sweating? Is that what's <laughs> happening? Can people see that? And it's incredibly distracting. And to be able to put yourself into another person's yeah. life and not think about any of these things, these external factors that are like literally in contact with you. Yeah. I well, then you got to think about like you have to hit marks, and you yeah. have to because if, if you know if you don't hit your mark, you're, you're you're suddenly you're out of light or you're out of focus or yeah. whatever. And and I think a good thing I also noticed about the selfish giant is that she used Steadicam. A lot of the time, and I was listening to um, the actor who played um, who played Swifty's dad talk about how they didn't have marks, and they didn't have very often. They didn't have um, they they used Steadicam, so they were free to wander around the room, and they were in. That may be why some of it came off as so natural, is because it wasn't it wasn't that old Hollywood trick of of you know be pretty for the camera and find your light. It was right. they were just they were just capturing 
people. And that leads us into feeling the realism of it too. Right? Mm-hmm. Like the camera doesn't know where they're moving, so there's a sense that it's following motion rather than finding mm-hmm. it, and or rather than setting it up and, and letting it happen. Yeah. There's a, a naturalistic flow to the film that is so disarming. Right? Yeah. You, you sit there, or in my case, you lie there with a laptop perched on your chest. And <laughs> you, just, you watch this window open and you're in this world. Yeah. And then it hurts you. Like you're watching something you shouldn't be watching. Yeah, yeah, that yeah. sense of that's exactly right. The sense of an un, un, unearned intimacy that yeah. that is it's rude to watch their yeah. lives and yeah. be comfortable, right? Like yeah. it's, that's it. It's, it's the bourgeois moment where you suddenly realize, oh, I'm I'm a different I'm in a different class from these people because I can afford to pay for a ticket to this movie. Yeah, and it's, yeah, it's, and that's the thing. It's not one of those movies that you sit down, and you're like, oh, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to watch your pain and enjoy it yeah. because it's dramatic and whatnot it's one of those movies you sit down so you can cry so you can feel something so you can feel human yeah it's yeah it's true because misery porn has become its own genre yeah, yeah very uh, much so the interview two films you know 21 grams and beautiful and, and the revenant are all about suffering as a, a purgative mm-hmm. so that we can learn something about ourselves by watching someone in pain and that's not what Clio bernard's movies this are. is literally just meant to show you yeah i'm just showing you and make you wonder why you're not helping them mm-hmm. right like if you could if you could reach through the screen and pull that wire away and just say go go to school go to school yeah. it's okay like yeah yeah I, I i deeply appreciate this film like as soon as when you when i um when you asked me to do this this was like instantly the first one that came to my head i'm so glad you picked it yeah it's so great um, yeah and i guarantee you that Clio will hear this because i'm gonna yell at her until she oh i do hope so you know she she because she, i'm in film school now and and she she's somebody who who is has deeply influenced me and i've and i've taken notes and uh I, I appreciate i see what she's doing i see what she's doing and i really appreciate it so well, that's wonderful and this kind of sets up the closer question which is always the same on the podcast it's you know is there anything of the selfish giant that you would or have borrowed or lifted or stolen or absorbed into your own creative dna i love the mundane um and i find beauty in in um that like I, I don't know and I for a while I'm sure I was blinded by Hollywood and I was blinded by 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 the, the pretty things in the storylines but but I think because of this movie while watching it while I was 17 and going through existential crises I appreciate the world and like that <laughs> sounds so stupid no no but no, like I mean, it, sometimes it's the only way to say it yeah I I appreciate the mundane and I pre- I think it's very beautiful and I'm and I want to look in the dark, creepy holes of the world rather than chasing butterflies. Yeah. Have you... Oh, I was going to ask if you'd seen um, Ashley McKenzie's Werewolf, which is the closest Canadian analog I can think of. I don't of. think I've even heard of it. It's, um, it won the uh, Toronto Film Critics uh, Best Canadian Film Prize two years ago. Oh, what the heck? <laughs> uh, no, it's, it's a Werewolf. terrific film. It's, it's about two people, um, uh, a guy who's in his mid-twenties and a, a girl, really, who's, who's 17 or 18, uh, who are coming off, uh, or they're in a methadone program in Cape Breton, and they have to get their dose every morning at a pharmacy, and then they have 24 hours to kill. And so they wander around mowing lawns, effectively. <laughs> uh, it's the closest thing to a Clio Barnard film, not specific to The Selfish Giant, but there are these long shots of them just walking in in alongside the road in open air right. that really feel like, um, like Ashley saw this movie and, wow uh, it's yeah there's should... something to that something to just long silences like the ending of the the third man like you know or or like stranger than paradise you, you don't really know what you're watching but you're but you're in it you're feeling it and it's like yeah. real life and it's, i like that yeah 
it's not hopeless. It's just where the movie stops. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't, there shouldn't always be a happy ending because there never really is. Yeah. Oh, that was bleak. (laughs) (laughs) Perfect out, though. Yeah. So thanks, guys. (laughs) My thanks to Katie Douglas, who you can see starring in Danishka Esterhazy's Level 16 this Friday, March 15th, in Toronto and Calgary, in Ottawa and Winnipeg later this month, and on VOD in the United States right now. Thanks also to Ingrid Hamilton. She knows what she did. You can find Katie on Twitter at Katie underscore Douglas, and you can find The Selfish Giant on DVD from Mongrel Media in Canada and MPI Video in the U.S. It's also available on iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon Prime. Oh, and if you missed it, check out Clio's episode of the podcast, Cheap Pick Performance. It was a great conversation. You can find it wherever you found this. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Norm Wilner and elsewhere on the internet at nowtoronto.com. You can also find this podcast on Twitter at SEMCAST, S-E-M-CAST, and on the web at someoneelsesmovie.com. If you feel like leaving a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or wherever you enjoy the show, that would be greatly appreciated. Every little bit helps. It truly does. Thanks for your support, and thanks for listening. <laughs>